0: The Fantasy Football Beat.
1: Welcome to the Fantasy Football Beat, the podcast that will never let your team die in darkness. I am Mike Hume. Hi, I'm
2: Des Beeler, and I'd like to congratulate Matthew Stafford on becoming the highest-paid player ever to go in the 10th round of fantasy drafts.
0: Hi, I'm Jeff Dooley, hoping to have a better show than uh,
1: the Bears' receiving core is having a preseason so far. That bar is not high. Well, we've almost made it. We're almost to the end of preseason. Thursday night's games will conclude the preseason schedule. And we're all looking forward to watching those. Yes, so much. Wait. No, no, we're not. Oh, Not at all. There is zero fantasy relevance in all but a few cases, so feel free to tune out Thursday night's games and start prepping on your draft. Now, this show, we're going to break down some of the biggest draft developments from the preseason. We're going to break down the biggest preseason winners and losers in terms of our Stock Watch segment. And then we're also going to get into some guys that you should absolutely, positively not draft under any circumstances at, well, their,
2: at their ADPs. At their ADPs. Okay. Always oh, got to throw in that qualifier. Yeah, do I not know. draft at all, right, Des? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I Ever. I know. It sounds very bold. The do not draft list at their ADPs. But you have to throw it in there Des, just Des for Des invests
0: a lot of intro text <laughs> in his do, do not draft list online <laughs> Look, explaining this doesn't mean you don't, if, they, if Aaron Rodgers drops you in the eighth round, you take Aaron Rodgers. <laughs>
1: yes. Right. <laughs> exactly. You've, you've got it figured out, Jeff. Thank you. And as always, there's a lot of excitement around rookies, and it just so happens that the Week 3 news cycle uh, from the preseason has converged with this rookie fervor, and that brings us to our big idea. The big idea. Get him off your
0: team. Drop him now. He could be the surprise of the 2017 season. That guy is a walking ACL team. Oh, yeah, he's a major sleeper. All right, fellas, the big idea for this week, Kareem Hunt of the Chiefs should be the first rookie running back taken in fantasy football drafts this year. Now, admittedly, if push came to shove and I'm on the clock and it's winding down and it's the third round, I might opt for Christian McCaffrey of Carolina because I see the upside there. If, but it, th- if it's a PPR league. If it's a PPR league, uh, given his his upside, particularly as a, as a pass catcher. Uh, but I think especially following the Spencer Ware injury, Kareem Hunt now ascending to number one in that depth chart. Out for the season. Out for the season. Uh, Kareem Hunt is sort of he he has the clearest path to me biggest combination of skill set and opportunity uh, among the rookie running backs at least as we stand today preseason when you are drafting Uh, in the third round I think he's a really tempting pick I I think of all the rookie running backs I might go with him first
1: I mean to me that's not that much uh, you don't have to sell that too hard to me because I look around yeah I like Christian McCaffrey but I mean, unless the Panthers were purposefully withholding him from their preseason offensive sets and they're going to come out and run some crazy offenses. It is possible. He didn't see a ton of targets this preseason. So you're really uh, flying on your faith that he will be incorporated because of his draft position and because of their desire to get the ball out of Cam Newton's hands a little bit more, that he will surpass him. And Dalvin Cooks, the other guy, the Minnesota Vikings, that people are really talking up as an uh, early-round rookie, Again, a very clear path to the starter's role, but his line is terrible. That line was bad for Adrian Peterson last year, and we know what kind of back Adrian Peterson has been. So, I mean, Des, when when you look at those three, and probably Joe Mixon too, how does this all break down in your head? Have we mentioned Leonard Fournette yet? No, we haven't even mentioned
2: Leonard Fournette. <laughs> he, he was my highest-ranked rookie, rookie running back. Uh, you know, and I feel like we've talked all—every show, basically, we we kind of—it became almost like a, a punchline, like, rookie running backs. Let's talk about another rookie running back. There were just so many this year. Hunt was a guy who was working his way up the rankings, and I think people thought he had a shot at replacing Spencer Ware somewhere down the season. But until Ware got out— uh, I mean, once Ware was out for the season, and that news, unfortunately, came a little late for me from a, for a fancy draft I was in on Saturday. That's the worst. Where I took Mixon at the 4-5 or five turn. I had Hunt ranked. On the on the theory that Spencer Ware was merely injured his knee and was right. going to come back at some point in the season. A couple weeks. Yeah, so w- we only found out the next day, no, he's done. And I was like, oh, great, really should have taken Ware there. Right, well, you guys can talk, but I'm the one who has to do the rankings here. And yes, indeed, I have Kareem Hunt ranked number one among rookie running backs. I have him 11th overall, one spot ahead of Leonard Fournette, who I have at number 12. You know, you talk and, and in fact I have we, you know the, I have five rookie running backs in my top twenty. So I'm that's I'm ho- hu- that's huge. It's crazy. It's, I know. and I keep looking at it like, wait, do I really want to do that? But I just you look at the situations they're all in and they're all pretty good. It's just that yeah, Hunt I would say has the fewest question marks. He's a three down back. Uh, just to go over the others, I have Fournette at twelve. You know, he's got a foot injury that he may or may not be coming back from very quickly. But you still have uh, T.J. Yeldon there. You still have Chris Ivory there. Those guys will have roles. Obviously, you still have Blake Bortles there. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a problem. I always, had, I always had Leonard Fournette ranked as high as I did based on an assumption of major volume. And I still think he will get that. But then again, you could say the same for Kareem Hunt. Uh, McCaffrey has, I think, the biggest volume issues because Jonathan Stewart is there. Dalvin Cook has Jarek McKinnon, Latavius Murray around. And Joe Mixon, of course, has Jeremy Hill and Giovanni Bernard around. Kareem Hunt, uh, he has Sharkhandrick West and CJ Spiller around. So you tell me.
1: Yeah, exactly. And here's an interesting stat that I saw from Graham Barfield on the Twitters uh, over the past week. And that is Andy Reid coached backfields have finished inside of the top 10 in terms of team running back PPR points seven times in the last 10 years. And that's the top 16. In nine of the last ten, so you're mining from a pretty good bit of history as far as uh, play calling preferences are concerned.
2: Yeah, uh, exactly. Andy Reid loves to have he loves to have a feature back, and he loves to use that feature back quite a bit. And his offense really revolve a lot around the running backs. You know, in the in the past decade, uh, he's had five running backs or five seasons where where a running back of his showed up in the top twelve in PPR scoring. Uh, those were three different running backs, albeit all sort of more talented-looking guys in, in Brian Westbrook, LaShawn McCoy, and Jamal Charles. But in, just in terms of what his offenses do between the Eagles and Chiefs, his RB1 averages 19.5 PPR fantasy points and 20.8 opportunities per game. Yeah. These are heavily used players, and, you know, and, we've seen, and we've seen that in the past in his offenses. So there's no reason Kareem Hunt won't get a lot of opportunity.
0: And it's not just as a ball carrier either. It, the, Alex Smith has the shortest uh, average depth of target in the NFL the last few <laughs> yes. seasons. He's not a downfield thrower. He's allergic to throwing downfield. So, exactly. So he's going to look, whether it's on screens or checkdowns, and Kareem Hunt, he was a guy coming out of college. Uh, you know, he, he was he was a true three-down back. He did well in pass protection. He did well as a pass catcher, and he could run. it did well in terms of, like, yards after contact, some of the metrics you want to see, guys who can create on their own. Uh, so I just, you, you know, you don't want to get too uh, – too overly excited about about a guy you've never seen on an NFL uh, field in the regular season but I really think the opportunity is there one other point about Leonard Fournette that I, that makes me a little bit nervous um, d- besides just the general dysfunction is he doesn't have maybe the pass catching pedigree these other guys were talking about like even a right. Dalvin Cook Chris McCaffrey certainly we mentioned and, and Hunt so uh, there's another sort of a little bit of reason for concern there
1: but getting back to Kareem Hunt We got downfield pretty quick on on him because there is a lot of excitement about him. But let's start with this. Who is this guy? Like, he was not a top-drafted running back. He's a guy who did not play a high level of college football. How much should owners rightfully or wrongly put into his uh, career at Toledo?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I made the comment last week. He was actually my my value pick uh, on the most recent podcast we did when he was going in the eighth round, just because I, I believed eventually he was going to take over the job. Now, we didn't anticipate the Spencer Ware injury, obviously. In elusive rating, which is a metric that pro football focus uh, rates, he was number one among among all draft-eligible running backs last year. So in terms of like the stats, he showed up. And then at the Senior Bowl, he was one of the names that uh, uh, scouts and evaluators were really buzzing about. He just performed really well on that stage with comparable uh, uh, comparable NFL talent, top-level college talent. So uh, he's a guy who you can believe in the production it wasn't just he, he beat up on on small schools he's not he doesn't have the explosiveness he's not Jamal Charles yeah he, um, he, he but, didn't but do he, well in those areas at the combine but he will it, you know where he does is he'll he'll take a four yard run and'll turn it into six or seven yards yeah, uh, I, even if he doesn't bust it open
2: yeah I, I think that is the main knock on kareem hunt and obviously we have yet seen him play in the NFL so we'll, we'll we'll find out a lot more pretty soon but the main knock is that he's not an elite elite athlete and he's not He's one of these guys who's good at everything, but not necessarily great at any one thing. Um, you know, Matt Walden, who joined us for the experts draft recently, mm-hmm. uh, he compared Hunt to Chester Taylor. Which doesn't sound great, but you know, it's it's an interesting comparison because Taylor was kind of a jack of all trades, and you know, the one single season Taylor had as the feature back with the Vikings the year before they drafted Adrian Peterson, he finished as a number twelve running back um, in fantasy league. So you know, completely and that's about, serviceable. Yeah, and that's where we're that's what we're thinking Hunt will do for your team as well. You know, he I mentioned at the combine he ran a four six two forty, so that's not great. His broad jump was under ten feet, so that indicates maybe a little little lack of explosiveness. But he doesn't fumble very much. He can catch the ball, as Jeff said. He had he had 41 uh, receptions as a senior in college at Toledo. You know, and and look, let's not slight the Mac. We've all seen what the Mac right. does. You know, when they get to play the big boys. Ben that, Roethlisberger says hi. Right, and you know, and and even yeah, and those teams generally compete pretty well when they get to play Big Ten teams. We've seen that happen every season. So you know, I'm not I'm not downgrading him all that much for having
1: played at Toledo. Well, the stock is clearly pointing up for Kareem Hunt. Let's see who else we should be buying into. Stock watch. Stock watch. Spencer Ware, not the only major injury. Julian Edelman of the Patriots also lost for the year with an ACL tear. Des Bieler, yes. tell us, who's going to see an uptick in the Patriots' uh, offense? Yeah, well, uh, so you're
2: asking me to uh, prognosticate the Patriots to sort of determine how things are going to go in New England. That's that's always a uh, Hold on, I'm going to write this down. down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. no, you
1: should probably just get a, a yeah. stone and a chisel.
2: Yeah, or magic eight ball. Uh, looks good for, uh, uh, well, I mean, obviously Chris Hogan, I think, uh, or maybe it's not obvious, but I do think Chris H- Chris <laughs> Hogan is probably the single biggest beneficiary in terms of a leap up my rankings. Um, I'm not going too crazy with him, but I have him about 40th overall among wide receivers. I think he's definitely hanging around the wide receiver wide receiver three conversation. Uh, you know, he. I mean, you saw in that preseason game, and again, we don't really want to ever, ever take too much stock in what happens in the preseason, but. Uh, he scored two touchdowns and was featured in the offense after that. He, he's one of the players that goes in motion a lot. That's sort of been his role. He's an outside receiver, but he also performed... Some of the functions he's performed last season, which was, I think, his first season in New England, overlapped a little bit with what Edelman did, although Edelman was more of a slot receiver. The fact that Edelman is a slot receiver... Could, could mean a lot for some of the running backs there who may take, who may take on some of those uh, yeah, some of those pass patterns. You know, James White, I think, benefits here. Rex Burkhead has actually played in the slot a little bit in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we're at our usual state of not having any idea really what the Patriots running backs are going to so do. So many names, so yeah. many questions. Uh, it's tough. And, of course, you have, to, you have to talk about Brandon Cooks. Now, I was a guy who was down on Brandon Cooks earlier, uh, notably compared to a lot of other rankers. I had him 19th overall. Notably,
0: compared to those of us on the podcast,
2: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we talked about it. Uh, I guess you're right. You knew uh, Edelman would get injured, but that was, <laughs> that, was the, that was my main gri- My main issue with Cooks is I thought he would be very much boomer bust. He would have some huge games, and he would disappear for some games because the volume really wouldn't be there because they had so many mouths to feed in New England. Well, the biggest mouth, at least compared to uh, uh, target share, is gone. I mean, Edelman mm-hmm. gets about 160 targets a season, so that's going to get divvied up. I certainly don't think. A ton of it will go to Cooks, but he'll get enough that it pushes him right back up again. Now I have him uh, 13th at wide receiver, 23rd overall, which is about where he's he's getting drafted. So at this point, I've I now no longer have any issues with that. He's off the do not draft list. He is off the little preview there. Off Ooh, my do not draft list. Big it's reveal. True.
1: Yes. I mean, the one thing with Cooks that I, I thought he was being a little bit undervalued and that the Patriots would incorporate him into that that over-the-middle, short-pass uh, role a little bit more than he was in, in New Orleans. It seemed like the Saints, and part of the reason he had those boomer-bust games, were, were they were just running him on the Tim Brown pattern. Go long, you know, and then Drew Brees would chuck it back, and if it was there, it was there, and if it wasn't, you know, he had, he had something like— Three or two 80-yard c- touchdown catches last year. I mean, that's huge. I think if you can get this consistent work that Edelman has left behind, he could really pay off for somebody. I, I just don't think he's
2: going to step into that Edelman role. It's not a one-for-one one thing. Not,
1: no, not at a 160 target rate. But if he gets 40 or 50 of those even, like that's a big difference. Oh, yeah, no.
0: yeah, I think it's... A Cooks has that skill set, right? He's got that short area quickness. Like, he can get loose underneath. I'm sure uh, they're going to be looking to scheme him in that way because he has a run-after catch ability that Edelman doesn't have. Absolutely. Um, So I I do think, like, that's the the area of the field we're talking about is that short, you know, under 10-yard range. That's where Edelman uh, made his money. Um, And that's why maybe the most direct sub— uh, would be Danny Amendola. Now he's mm-hmm. got has, he's had his own health issues, and I, and that's not a one for one sub either. Right. I think Dez is right. You want to keep an eye on, and we we don't know who's who it's going to be, but the receiving back or receiving backs in that offense uh, potentially could see an uptick, like. James White seems the most logical one, but is Rex Burkhead going to get that role? Is Deion Lewis back? I mean, you know, he got a lot of action in the preseason. So, again, we're back to square one with the Patriots, but I do think, I agree, you upgrade Brandon Cook's base off of this. You keep an eye on the backs. Um, I'm a little more skeptical of Chris Hogan. I I don't know exactly how they're going to use him. He's kind of the wide receiver two there. Um, But, yeah, yeah, again, more confusion for Patriots offense.
1: There's a little bit more clarity out in Chicago with Cameron Meredith's season-ending injury. We got Kendall Wright and Kevin White. Neither of them seem too appealing. How much does this actually help them?
2: Yeah, I, I don't know if we really, if we have way hey, more. Do college. we I, care? I mean, I guess, <laughs> I guess we don't. We don't have all the issues with the running backs. We know right. Jordan Howard's going to get the ball a lot. Uh, Tara Cohen might factor in a little bit, but yeah, uh, but we 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 have a real mystery man on our hands in Kevin White. Now I have him. Yeah, so Cameron Meredith was going to be the wide receiver one in Chicago. He's out for the season. You know, Alshon Jeffrey ha- already had moved on. I mean, there's a lot of targets left to be right. spread around. And that was an offense that threw the ball a little bit more than average last season. Maybe they'll try not to do that this year, but even so, I mean, there are over 300 targets um, available uh, to be split by somebody. And Kevin yeah. White was a guy who got a ton of targets in the early going last season. He obviously pretty much missed his rookie season, he was a number seven overall pick. Uh, real size, speed uh, freak show there. And so he was heavily used in the early going. Then he got injured yet again, missed most of last season. As far as, like, if he's even a good wide receiver, I mean, the jury's still out on that. We really don't know... What he can do, he basically had one big year in college, and he was he was an older guy at that point. He was a junior college transfer, so there were a couple of red flags on him as a prospect coming out. And if these injuries have sapped any of his explosiveness, then really like one of his big uh, stock and trade uh, aspects is out the window too. So I still have him as the biggest beneficiary, but
0: I only have him ranked 50th overall because I'm very leery of that situation. Yeah, there might not be a, a situation in the NFL that has more uncertainty. Uh, than this one, because you've also got two new quarterbacks in there with Chicago. So it's not like we know who their favorites are uh, from past seasons. You know, I think it, Kevin White's probably got a lot more upside than, than your average 13th round pick, <laughs> which might be where you can get him. Right. Um, but he's a total unknown, as Des mentioned. You know, Kendall Wright's the intriguing one because, like, potentially he's a viable fantasy starter as a wide receiver, too, or as a flex. Um it, Again, doesn't have the upside that that Kevin White has if he finally realizes his potential as a number seven overall, number seven overall pick. But Wright's the guy I might keep an eye on a little bit more, uh, just see where he starts going in drafts. I,
2: I have, yeah, I I moved rank uh, Wrights. Excuse me. It, you have you have Kevin White, Kendall Wright. It's easy to get confused. Yeah. Um, I have Wright moved up quite a bit. I have him at fifty seventh. Uh, this is in PPR because I do think he has a really good chance of actually leading that team in receptions. Um, he's obviously a more experienced player than Kevin White, he's got, and he was a first-round pick in, mm-hmm. in his day with the Titans, so a little bit of a pedigree there, and as some have noted out, the, the one year in Tennessee he did really well, their offensive coordinator was Dowell Loggins, who's now the OC in Chicago. So, those, you know, And I'm sure that's not a coincidence why they brought in Kendall Wright in the offseason anyway. Wright was going to be the slot receiver. He's now moved up to starting two wide receiver sets. There's a very good chance that he winds up leading this team in receptions. Other than that, you have players um, such as Deontay Thompson, who's flashed a little bit. I mean, this, is a very, this could be a very fluid situation. And let's not forget Marcus Wheaton. They did bring him in in the off-season. They gave him a pretty sizable contract. He's out with a finger injury, so he's, not, he's probably going to miss the first couple weeks.
1: But when he comes back, who knows? Right. Man, he could take over. So a very fluid and pretty much unappealing situation <laughs> unfolding in Chicago. <laughs> Somewhat, yes. Yeah. So let's look at the other end of the spectrum of our stockwatch segment. Who's down this week? Well, I'm going to look at another uh,
2: NFC North wide receiver and mention Stephon Diggs. Uh, and this is based on reports that he is being moved out of the slot role, the slot receiver role, where he ran 62% of his pass patterns last year. It sounds like Adam Thielen has gotten that job. And they're going to move uh, Stephon Diggs to the outside. In PPR leagues to me that knocks digs down just a couple of slots. I, I you know I don't want to move him down too far because the flip side of him moving it outside is he could be eligible for bigger plays. But he was a guy that was ticketed. As long as he could stay on the field, stay healthy, a lot of people thought he could catch like 100 passes. Like he could be peppered relentlessly by Sam Bradford, who loves those shorter intermediate throws, but who is, last year especially, was a very good downfield passer. He just is not an aggressive guy, and their scheme so far has not been very aggressive. So if Diggs is going to run some of those more low percentage patterns, outside patterns, maybe he doesn't see as many passes come his way.
0: Yeah, I don't know if it's, uh, you know, he's not plummeting in the rankings, uh, but I do think it's, it could be a deciding factor between him and other guys you have close in sort of that, like, I don't know, fifth, sixth round range, depending on the size of your league, uh, which is where he seems to be going. Uh, keep an eye on on the offensive line. Is it any better in Minnesota this year? Mike alluded to it earlier. You know th- that was a that was a big issue a year ago. Bradford had to get the ball out quickly. Uh, does Dalvin Cook add a level of explosiveness that really helps? But I, I agree. He you know don't don't panic on digs, but I think you got to bump him down a little bit.
2: Yep. Oh, and also stock down a bonus stock down Chad Henning. <laughs> I, well, what was that all about? They benched Blake Bortles for the, for the week three preseason game, the season's dress rehearsal. You're like, okay, they're benching him. They're going with Henny. Maybe he's yeah, not great shakes, yeah. but he's going to be the guy. Nope, back to Bortles.
0: Yeah. I do not so. even think he was getting drafted in three QB leagues. <laughs> yeah,
1: probably not. More like a junk bind than a stack. All right, well, Stefan Diggs might be down, but uh, these next guys are downright untouchable at their current average draft position. Fire! Beware. 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 All right, so how many times have you heard somebody say, like, you couldn't pay me enough to take that player? Well, those are the players, and those are the discussions that we're going to have right now with our Do Not Draft List. Des just cranked out an article entitled Do Not Draft List, updated edition, you can find at thewashingtonpost.com. Now, Des, why don't you get us started? Again, This is not, we're not saying you can't take these players at any point in the draft. Right. What we are saying is that their average dra- draft position is such that it makes them extremely unappealing. Right,
2: exactly. And, um, you know, I did a version of this list uh, about five or six weeks ago, uh, kind of came back to those players, gave them a little update. Some, are, I think, are still like do-not-draft guys, and some are... Uh, Hey, have worked out are now very draftable such as Brandon Cooks. He was on the list before now He's not redeemed and and then I added some new guys to the list and we'll start with one of those How about Golden Tate? Uh, He has an average draft position wide receiver 20. I think which, you know, if you just looked at where he'd finished in fantasy uh, since he joined the Lions in 2014, he was 11th that first year, 24th, 17th. So he's been around that range. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I understand why people think, oh, he's a very safe player with, you know, some upside in that offense. But I just can't see him going off the board uh, before players who have lower ADPs than him, such as Emmanuel Sanders, Stefan Diggs, we just talked about. I still like him better than Golden Tate, Martavis Bryant, uh, Larry Fitzgerald, Tyreek Hill you know th- these are guys who i think have much higher upsides than Tate which i and the thing about Tate is he's not a touchdown producer so he has he has to get volume and he has thrived on volume in the past especially last season but there was some scenarios last season that led into it. I mean, they were very they were heavily injured at the running back position. Amir Abdul, in particular, missed almost the entire season. Theo Riddick, who's a major t- patch-catching guy, was out for a while. Eric Ebron missed three games. Marvin
1: Jones was hurt, too, I think, at the end of the year. Yeah,
2: Jones Jones was it came So, you know, I think Tate really uh, fed off of the as relative absences of other players. And in general, I think the Lions, they just rained the whole operation in. I think about halfway through the season, Jim Bob Cooter decided, we need to become much more of a conservative offense because we need to sort of dink and dunk our way down the field and keep our defense off the field as much as possible. But the problem was they just couldn't run the ball. They didn't have good running backs. They were down on sort of Zach Zenner and Dwayne Washington for long stretches. So they threw, I think, the upshot is they, ran a, they didn't run a lot of plays last year compared to the rest of the league. I think they will continue to be one of the lower teams in, in terms of total plays. But I think what few plays they do run, more of them will be running plays. So I think Tate will lose volume both just in terms of the shape of the offense and in terms of the other players around him. Uh, Ebron should grow in his role Jones should grow in his role You know I, So I, I just see him Not quite producing What he did last
0: year And thus not being A good draft value Jim Bob Cooter Maybe the most Heavily referenced Offensive coordinator In the NFL So fun to say You, hey, have, to, you have to mention Cooter Any chance you get fam- Famous name I, I got somebody for you For the Do Not Draft list Ezekiel Elliott Oh Current ADP Yes His mid-second round
2: Yeah that's high yeah, If not early Yeah it, it,
0: This isn't about You know His merits as a player Um You know, if if you think that you can can get by with your second-round pick being on the bench until week eight, you know, more power to you. I just don't—I think the margin for error, your margin for error as an owner, shrinks so much um, by investing that heavy of a resource in him. Basically, you're saying—you're telling me seven weeks of Ezekiel Elliott is better than 15 weeks of Todd Gurley or Des Bryant or Brandon Cooks, these other guys who are going in the mid-second round— Uh, The answer is no for me on that one. You know, we talked last week, do you pair him up with Darren McFadden, who you probably have to reach for a little bit to get as the handcuff, uh, so to speak? Um, I I just don't see it. I think he's way too big of a risk there. Even like third round feels rich for me. Uh, I do not understand him as a second round pick.
2: Well, I wrote, an, I wrote an entire article last week about how you should draft Ezekiel Elliott, but I did say mid to late second round. Early second round, yeah, I still, don't, I still don't like him going ahead of guys. Some of the guys that you mentioned, Des Bryant, Amari Cooper, Gronkowski, I would take ahead of him. These are players who have really massive upsides in their own rights, and obviously
1: figure to be available all season long. Here's a guy on my list that I've been seeing go in the early fourth round, sometimes a little bit sooner in some of the drafts I've been taking part in. And maybe that's a little bit of our regional bias here. Uh, Terrell Pryor, the Washington Redskins. People are so high on him that they're jumping at him in rounds three and four. I don't see it yet. Like, look, he had a great year last year playing with a, a, a team that didn't have a consistent quarterback. But here's the advantage he had in Cleveland. No one else was around him. And, and they were playing from behind a lot. And guess what? They didn't care if the ball ended up in the defense's hands because they were down by 27 points already. So there were a lot of situations where he was going up one-on-one and he would win the ball in the air. And he benefited from that significantly. Now he comes to an offense in Washington. There's a lot of options with two receivers that already have great chemistry with Kirk Cousins, Jamison Crowder and Jordan Reed. And they both tend to run safer routes than Terrell Pryor tends to run. And we'll see if he does the same in, in Washington's offense. But Kirk Cousins is not a risk taker. He is a ball manager at his core, which is smart. You don't want to give the ball to the other team. You can't do it. But he's not going to see those same 50-50 balls that he did in Cleveland. And I think for fantasy reasons, that's going to impact his value negatively. I'm not taking him round three or four.
0: Yeah, admittedly, I've been really excited about the Trail prior signing, um, both from an NFL standpoint and a fantasy standpoint. It's clear so far in the preseason that that's not clicking yet now. Mm Uh, once the once the lights really go on, will it be sort of a different level? Will it just take a couple weeks, and then he ends up being worth it, sort of later down the line, maybe? But I agree. Right now, he stands out as a big risk. I've seen him go in the third round in the drafts I've been in, um, you know, late, mid to late, but still. And he's a guy I was targeting in that range, or certainly once he gets to the fourth. So I do think you have to be a little bit leery those first those first four picks you've get, you've got uh, you've got to really be careful not to uh, not to reach on somebody who who just hasn't. Uh, hasn't quite uh, clicked yet with his quarterback, and that's what's going on with prior.
2: Yeah, he's, his average draft position is 31. He's going as the wide receiver 15, whereas I have him as the wide receiver uh, 15. So <laughs> I'm right on Perfectly board with you. Perfectly valued. <laughs> How about that? How about that? <laughs> Green um, light from Desviel. I'm right there with these guys. Yeah, I'm not taking a ton from the preseason. I realize they haven't looked good. I'm sort of giving the whole operation a pass on that. Um, you know, I'm looking more at the situation he came from. You know, you, I, mean, I guess you could look at, at Cleveland last year, as you, you know, in, in two different ways. I mean, yes, there wasn't a ton of competition there for targets. But then again, look at who was throwing the ball and the overall shape of that offense. Now he gets Kirk Cousins throwing him the ball, who's a far better quarterback than anyone he had there, including uh, Robert Griffin III. And, you know, he managed to—and and again, and this, he's now going to his second full season as a wide receiver. You have to factor in a little bit of progression for him in terms of— getting better at his trade. I mean, last year was his first full season. He still put up over 1,000 yards receiving. He looked dominant at times. He's got an amazing size-speed uh, ratio. Um, I, I, there were some drops this preseason. I wasn't aware that his hands were an issue before. But then again, there's a lot like we just don't know about him yet. But I'm willing to like take him on the upswing, especially... You know, you compare. Okay, so after him, I have Keenan Allen. I mean, he's the injury risk to end them all, and also a guy who may or may not be a great uh, and, and a red zone option like Terrell Pryor, who's 6'4", 6'5", would be. Alshon Jeffrey after that, a guy who's sort of been in and out of the wide receiver one conversation, also had injuries. Michael Crabtree, who's very steady, um, but maybe doesn't really have the upside. You know, I, I just think you can envision Terrell Pryor having a big role in the offense and also uh,
1: turning more, you know, turning more and more into a dominant receiver. You know how you get around this problem, Des? How's that? Draft a running back, like I did. Oh, God. All right, but I, you probably wouldn't want to draft the running back on your list out in Seattle, who seems to be dropping quickly in <laughs> all by all accounts.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, maybe people are finally listening to me. If we remember the running back preview podcast, low those many weeks ago, I said I was down on Eddie Lacey. I wondered if he was, at the time, I said, I'm not even sure he's the second best running back in Seattle. Now it's not even clear if he's the third best running back in Seattle because Chris Carson, a rookie, has been getting just as much run as him. You know, while Rawls and C.J. ProSice as usual, have been injured and have sat out a lot of the preseason action, you think that's a chance for Eddie Lacey to come in there, get yeah, the ball, sees the job, really seize the job, put his stamp on that position. The opposite essentially has happened. He's looked slow. I mean, I'm sorry, he's not looked explosive. And, you know, Carson has looked at least as good. And I, I just think, and they've already listed Rawls as number one in their depth chart, even though he's been missing action. So it's clear that Lacy has not been able to make much of a play into the top of that depth chart. And if Lacy isn't getting the ball a lot, then I don't know, really know what you have with him, because pro size will still be a factor. So Lacy's uh, average draft position has really dropped, actually. He's going at 98th overall. Still not good enough for me. <laughs> I have him 123rd overall. He's still going ahead of Rawls, which I just think is, is kind of lunacy at this point. Uh, so, you know, he's a stay away for me, for sure.
0: I do think whoever the primary back in Seattle is is going to be fantasy viable. Now, if it's a 100% a committee and, and they split it around, maybe not. But but keep an eye on that one. I, I think Rawls, where Rawls is going, he's, he's worth a look, certainly like ninth, tenth round. Uh, I've got another entry to the Do Not Draft list. Matt Ryan, the quarterback of the Falcons. Now, Reigning it, MVP, Matt Ryan? Yes, reigning MVP. Coming off a career year, uh, went from 19th in fantasy scoring among QBs to second. Uh, regression uh Alarm a, is going off here. Uh, sort of this year's Cam Newton, if you will. Uh, I, I just think it's going to be, he can have a great season and still not be at the same level he was a year before. Uh, if you want to draft him based on where he's going in ADP, you're going to have to spend a late fifth round or early sixth round pick. Nope. I just don't think he's worth it there. Uh, obviously, we preach sort of waiting on QBs on, on this podcast a lot. You could probably put a lot of QBs on the do not draft list in that regard, but I think. Ryan sticks out as a big sort of red flag. Do not reach for him uh, based off of what he did a year ago. Uh, it, chances are he's going to regress to his mean a little bit.
1: Yeah, and a new offensive coordinator down in Atlanta was Steve Sarkisian, of all people. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, that's <laughs> a yeah, little.
2: The, the Falcons were historically efficient last year. Their touchdown per drive ratio was insane. The amount of points they scored was, was sort of historic. I mean, offenses that have been that good
1: have operated at, at that peak generally don't stay at that peak from season to season. Well, Matt Ryan definitely scares me as well, Jeff, but I got to say nothing scares me more than a Giants running back right now because that offensive line is terrible. The running backs look terrible.
0: No Paul Perkins fans here?
1: No Paul Perkins fans here or anywhere. And look, I get the whole Shane Vereen argument of he's going to be the dump off uh, escape valve while Eli Manning is busy running for his life uh, against the pass rush, but... To me, wherever they're at, they're just—they're not even worth the flyer. Like I'd much rather take my my wide receivers uh, late and employ my m- more consistent running back picks early, more predictable running backs picks early, than try and take a late swing on Shane Vereen or or Paul Perkins or, or Orleans, Orleans, Darkwa. Orleans Darkwa. There you go. Does his favorite player yes. in the backfield? I mean, to me, <laughs> I, I just—I I think that that is a passing offense uh, first and foremost, and I don't even know if they're going to be able to do that if, if this line doesn't get it together this season so to me Giants running backs clear no fly zone
2: uh, I mean I, I don't know I mean Perkins's ADP is about 32 among running backs I think that's pretty fair for a guy who projects to be the starter and starters tend to get volume and at that point you know you're talking about your your RB3 so I think it's an okay flyer there I'm also not excited but when you look at what's around him I mean it's very unlikely that Vereen takes over as the dominant running back there uh, you know, that that's partly why I've been making the case a little bit yeah. for Dark. Just because he, he projects a little thingy. bit more as an early down back. Maybe they just want a guy who can thump into the line and get him four yards instead of dancing around. Who
0: knows? Oh, well, they'll be happy with four yards. <laughs>
2: they also have, they also have <laughs> Wayne Gallman from Clemson. I mean, I think there are scenarios in which someone emerges, and just by sheer volume in an offense that should be able to move the ball, if Beckham comes back in good shape, Brandon Marshall you know, proves that he hasn't lost every step he ever had. You know, they should be able to get the ball downfield. Like, there are going to be opportunities there, but I agree it's a very, it's a murky and sort of unimpressive situation at the moment.
0: Outside of Paul Perkins, it's not the do-not draft list, it's the cannot draft list. You won't be <laughs> able to find them in, in your, on your, draft your selection seats. board, yeah.
1: Well, uh, I guess that'll be something to watch on Sunday night when the Giants take on the Cowboys in the opener of Sunday Night Football. It's almost week one, guys. Let's cast our gaze to the future. What to watch for? All right, well, there's going to be plenty to watch for once NFL regular season action gets underway in week one. But two things of significance out in the Steel City, Des, what are they? Right, what I'll be watching for
2: uh, in the days to come are Le'Veon Bell returning finally. Uh, he sa- he's been holding out through training camp. Not really holding out, just refusing to sign his one-year contract tender. Essentially, skipping training camp is what it looks like. Which you know you can hardly blame him for. Yeah. If you can get away- if you get paid twelve million dollars not to attend training camp, I'd probably do the same. But you know, I- I've said in the past, like I had to drop him from number one overall to number two behind David Johnson because you just can't draft a guy number one overall who's not on an NFL team at the time you're drafting, and that's still the case until we see him. Return of the Steelers. That's supposed to happen on Friday. I think he said September first was the date. So that's just something to look for. Does does he does he actually do that?
0: Can I can I ask you a question here yeah. though, Des when let's say he does this weekend and you've got a you've got a draft on Labor Day as an example. Are you taking Le'Veon Bell, number one now, or are you still going with David Johnson?
2: Yeah, I I you know, it's always been a razor thin margin between those two as far as I was concerned. And I, I think I'm g- probably going to keep David Johnson there. But I, you, I think you do want to watch and see d- if Le'Veon Bell... Okay, first of all, does he come back on Friday? Do they throw him right into some practices? Does he take some hits? Are the reports coming out? He's in football shape. You know, d- does he get nicked up at all? Is, is, he, is his body not quite ready for the rigors of the NFL? Assuming it all goes smoothly and, he, and reports are like, same guy, has missed a beat, fresher than the rest of us, I'm probably still going to leave... David Johnson up top because I still think this kind of extended absence from all uh, football preparation activities can lead to an early season injury. It's you know again we're talking about very minute differences between the two. So I'd probably at this point be inclined to leave David Johnson number one.
0: But you'd go Le'Veon Bell two before Antonio Brown three.
2: Yes, I and I've been steadfast on all time because the upside because of the general understanding that he was going to come back. There was no way he was going to hold out into the season. uh, Then you know I, I I think. It was worth the upside of of what he brings to the table to to make him number two. So the other member of the Pittsburgh Steelers that I'll be watching is Martavis Bryant, uh, who has been playing, but who has yet to be reinstated by the NFL for the regular season. They allowed. What are they waiting for? I have no idea. They allowed him to play in preseason games. Maybe the I I mean he's not going to play in week four uh, preseason week four. You wouldn't think. So at this point he's just sitting around hoping like can I now play? Can we get this over with? Uh, It's still but it's still kind of hanging out there. So, again, we're talking about two situations where we expect an outcome and it's the most likely thing. But until it happens, it hasn't happened yet.
1: It it is so weird to me that the NFL will let a player play in preseason games, which they charge regular season prices for those tickets and they won't clear a guy for the regular season. That seems a little inconsistent to me. All right, Jeff, for the first time in a long time, there's some positive buzz down in Tennessee.
0: Yeah, they're a really intriguing fantasy football team this year on a lot of fronts. The thing I'm I'm most watching for is the the two wide receivers, Corey Davis and Eric Decker, who missed some time uh, with injuries, are supposed to be cleared and returning to practice. Uh, they're expected to play week one, specifically in the case of Corey Davis, who's the number five overall pick. It sounds like they're going to ease him back into things. Uh, both of those guys are potential values based on where they're going in the draft. Marcus Mariota, their quarterback, continues to creep up. And ADP. Uh, he's going before uh, you know a lot of other quarterbacks um, uh, that are considered fantasy assets. so that's interesting. Uh, The other, this isn't as much to watch for until week one, but uh, how much, uh, how much is Derrick Henry going to eat into Demarco Murray's workload? There's a lot of really glowing reports out of Tennessee about Henry and his development, and you know he's not just a power back; he has some athleticism, some some pass catching ability. So uh, I'm interested to see what happens there. But coming up in drafts, I think Corey Davis he's been going in like tenth, eleventh round. He's a really interesting late round guy, Um, and Eric Decker could see a lot of uh, a lot of targets this year. So I'm keeping an eye on Tennessee.
2: Yeah, Derrick Henry. The, the sort of the Derrick Henry factor is the reason why I, I've, I'm just a teeny bit leery about Demarco Murray. I still have him as as a kind of hanging around the first round value, but it, 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 that's the main reason why I have him ranked below Jhi. There's no threat to a in Miami as far as I can tell. Right. But there really is a threat to uh, Murray's workload and Derrick Henry. So you have to you have to take that into account a little bit. It may it may help Henry in a season-long sense, because it may keep him fresher if they reduce his touches a little bit. But as we know,
1: touches you know are sort of the king
2: here. So you know, I, I think that does knock him down just a teeny peg.
1: Well, keeping in in the AFC South, I'm watching Andrew Luck like a hawk. I have him on two different teams. On one team, I have no other quarterback on my roster. On another team, Tyrod Taylor is my backup, and he's in the concussion protocol. So, yeah, I'm a wee bit interested in the fortunes of Andrew Luck. Looks right now like he's not going to play week one. So I am a little bit worried. Hopefully the prognosis improves going forward. Well, and is it week one's bad enough,
0: but is he going to be back for week two? Like what what's exactly. the, the situation here? Is this yeah. a, is this a, just a longer, a, a, a bigger problem than initially thought? Um, it's not just about whether he can make the first game, and and how how quickly can he get up to game speed? Because I mean, this is a guy who started the off season, We were talking about top five fantasy quarterback. He's not that now, but he's even if you're gonna if you're gonna make him your QB one as as our fearless leader Mike Hume has <laughs> uh, multiple times uh, hasn't been listening to the podcast, I guess. Uh, it, you know, th- there's a lot of risk there.
2: Yeah, you know, ESPN's Stefania Bell, who's sort of their injury expert, has generally been soft pedaling the the luck situation in terms of like not being overly worried about it, but her main takeaway is she's trying to sort of read the, not the body language, but the um, the way that the cults have approached all this. And the cults have just really this whole time acted like, no big deal, nothing to see here. I mean, they certainly didn't go out of their way to bring in, uh, you know, a top-notch backup. They're still trotting out Scott Tolzien, and they have Stephen Morris behind him. We talked about that a little bit last week. <laughs> is Scott you know Tolzien the, on the Do Not Draft yeah, list, too. Uh, very much on the Do Not Draft <laughs> list, you know. So they're acting like... They are really confident that Andrew Luck will be back very early in the season. You know, some people are wondering if he's going to wind up on these six-week pup lists to start the season, which would be a disaster. (laughs) But that would really be uh, a setback for the Colts, and one which they'd have a lot of egg in their faces because they're not acting like a team that thinks that's going to happen. But it it has had an effect on uh, T.Y. Hilton's ADP. He's now 10th among wide receivers. I think a lot of people wouldn't even touch him there. He's going ahead of Brandon Cooks and Doug Baldwin, I think, Those are two wide receivers I think are a lot safer at the moment. And Luck, of course, has fallen to 10th among quarterbacks, and I still think that's too rich for a lot of people's blood at this point because, like you said, we don't know if he's going to play even in Week 2.
0: But if you're in a league with Mike, watch out, because he's going to snap him right up. Got to get him early.
1: (laughs) Act now before it's too late. (laughs) All right, well, we are almost into the regular season, so your chances to prep with the beat are coming to a close. However... We will be here for your in-season moves as well. So subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher and check out all of our fantasy content on TheWashingtonPost.com. And if you would like to commiserate about Andrew Luck's injury status, you can reach me on Twitter. I'm at Mike Hume Post. I'm at Des Buehler. I'm at Jeff Dooley underscore. Thanks for listening.
0: See ya!